Soldiers in combat are directed to take care of their feet. While their clothes may not be changed for days or weeks on some occasions, they'll be encouraged to carry extra socks and to, whenever they're able, change them so that their feet are properly cared for. Serious runners will oftentimes buy two or three pairs of shoes, not because they're obsessed with having lots of shoes, though that may be the case, but rather the cushioning will wear down each time you run, and it takes more than 24 hours for the cushioning to rebound, so they will rotate the shoes every other day, again, to make sure they take care of their feet. Home health aides and family members will regularly give elderly loved ones pedicures, not out of a sense of lavish luxury, though it is nice, but because feet need to be cared for, and that becomes a challenge for those who are getting older. Feet are of vital importance. They carry you here, they carry you there, they give you a firm foundation upon which to stand. They're also a deeply personal thing. Many people don't like to show their feet to people they're not close with, and sometimes they don't like to show their feet to people they are close with. So we can perhaps understand why Peter and some of the other disciples recoil at this scene on the night of the Last Supper. And imagine we have shoes for our feet. They wore sandals, if anything at all. We have cars to carry us around, but most of them walked. Not on paved roads, but on dusty, dirty ones. So feet were dirty, nasty things. And here was Jesus, stripping off his garments and washing their feet. I can only imagine what it must have been like in that room. Perhaps there was silence. Perhaps there was awkward whispers. Perhaps those feet were shuffling around. Disciples wondering if maybe Jesus would tire of washing all their feet and the instruction would end soon. But disciple after disciple after disciple. Andrew, Peter, James, John, Matthew, yes, even Judas, 
all of them got their feet washed. And afterwards, when Jesus had put his cloak back on and returned to the table with them, he invited them to do the same, to take up that practice of washing feet. And so began our liturgical practice that we observe on Maundy Thursday on this night of washing feet. Sadly, due to COVID-19, we won't be washing feet tonight. But in reality, it wasn't a global pandemic that has done away with this practice of foot washing. It's all too common in so very many churches that we recognize that it is an awkward thing, an uncomfortable thing, and so we simply don't do it. Some churches replace it with a hand washing because that's more comfortable than taking your feet off and having someone else wash them. And so the churches have stopped the practice altogether. Up until last year, I had observed the practice as a pastor my entire career, and God willing, in this pandemic coming to an end, it shall resume next year. Because it is important. Jesus chose to do this on the last night before he was arrested and suffered. And he invited us, he asked us to do it. I can't help but observe the profound reality of this year's Maundy Thursday service when we have this occasion to pause and consider the state of the disciples' feet, overlaid with the news story that perhaps you have heard from earlier this week. Are you familiar at all with the news story of Lil Nas and his Satan shoes? Perhaps you have heard of that. Let me say at the outset, I don't get it. Shoes aren't my thing. I mean, I wear them because, you know, places ask you to wear shoes when you go into the restaurant or whatever it might be, but shoes aren't my thing. But just by a quick overview, they are a set of Nike shoes used without Nike's permission that have all manner of satanic imagery put on them, pentagrams and upside-down crosses and 666. And in fact, it even goes so far as to have a drop of human blood in the bubble sole of each shoe. And as one might expect, people have lost their minds over this. Are you shocked? Of course not. This is exactly how we act with everything. We lose our minds over all of it. 
Of course, if you were to Google it right now, all you'll really find is that Nike is suing him, and, and there's a back and forth on that. But predictably, we Christians have gone nuts. This is terrible. An outrage. To think that someone would do such a thing, such blasphemy, he would absolutely drive all of our children to the very gates of hell while taking their money. And on Holy Week, Jesus would be appalled. I actually uh, heard a local pastor, I'm not going to mention his name, uh, who has had more than one social media rant about Lil Nas and his Satan shoes. And in at least one of his rants, he shared with his faithful that Jesus most certainly would not buy Satan's shoes. Well, that's good to know. So on this night, When we pause to consider the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier of the entire world, removing His garments and kneeling down to wipe the dust and the dirt and the animal feces and the blood off of His disciples, and his betrayer's feet. What do we make of Lil Nas and his Satan shoes? If you look beyond the shoes, if you look beyond the outrage, if you look beyond the lawsuit that Nike is mounting, you'll find a story of a 21-year-old human being who was born and raised in church. And this 21-year-old man came to realize somewhere along the way that he was gay. And with some people, that doesn't sit well. Have you ever noticed that we have to have big bad sins so that my sins don't look so bad? I mean, just think about it. We have big bad sins so that my sins don't look so bad. That's kind of how this whole Christianity thing works in actual practice. And so the story of this 21-year-old gay rapper is that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, he was told he was bad, not right, a sinner, bound for the gates of hell. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem like it's rocket science to me that if you tell someone every single Sunday that they're going to go to hell, they might just create something called Satan's shoes. I mean, is that much of a stretch? I don't think so.
And so as Lil Nas says, he hates Christians. He hates the church because of what they did to him. So here's the thing. How do we respond? Do we take the easy, expected route and get righteously indignant that somebody is making Satan shoes and making a fast buck off of it? Because you know what? That's exactly what the world expects us to do. Kind of like Pavlov's dog. You ring the bell and you start salivating. And this, this guy Jesus here, his entire life was unexpected. Everywhere he went, unexpected. Everything he said, unexpected. Everything he did, unexpected. This event on this night, unexpected. So perhaps we do the unexpected thing. And we own that we failed a fellow creation of God, made in the image and likeness of God. Perhaps we own that we failed to show love and mercy and forgiveness and grace. Now maybe we want to let ourselves off the hook a different church. It wasn't our church. Do you think Lil Nas separates us from the church you grew up in? Probably not. Nor does the growing multitude of people who feel harmed and disenfranchised from church. And if you don't know it, that group gets larger and larger each and every day. I recently talked to a police officer who tells me he only goes to church to pretend because church doesn't really care about the struggles that he deals with as a police officer. You can throw a blue light in the window put a Blue Lives Matter flag outside. Those are gestures. If you don't help him try to make sense of the things that he sees when he works, then he, then he pretends. And he recognizes that church is not for him. I talked to a young family recently. And they said, they don't go to church anymore. I said, why not? I said, we're tired of getting the looks when our kids get loud. And sure, 95% of the people are fine with the kids being rambunctious. But all it takes is that one look. The reality is 
we are failing whole generations of people who are looking elsewhere for answers and for meaning and for life and for substance. Because we're too bad, we're too busy losing our minds over a pair of sneakers. So let's circle back. Let's wrap this sermon up, shall we? Let's go with that old question, because it is an old question now. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus, as a local pastor, suggest not buy Lil Nas's Satan shoes? To be honest, I'm not really sure Jesus is all that concerned about what shoes are on his feet. I think he's more concerned about what shoes are on other people's feet, making sure they have shoes, actually. But I think what Jesus would do is Jesus would kneel down at the feet of little Nos, and he would wash those feet, and he would proclaim them beautiful and good and loved, just like Jesus looks at your feet and proclaims them beautiful and loved and good. So do this. Go out from here, not outraged that someone created Satan's shoes, but go out from here outraged that we so easily and casually fail our neighbors. And think about how as we depart from this place, we can literally wash the feet of our neighbors every single day by proclaiming them beloved and beautiful and whole, just as Jesus does on this night. Amen.